valuable and it cannot be held by physical hands, it's probably worth holding on to. This is Immaterial Treasures. I'm your host, Dan Fee Parker. Thank you for tuning in. Welcome to Immaterial Treasures. Today we will be talking about perfectionism, the disease of perfectionism. And you might be wondering, why would I call perfectionism a disease? Well, any disease, a disease can be cured if you take care of it. But if you don't, it can be fatal. And that's how I view perfectionism. It's one of those things that can hold you back if not cured, if you don't take awareness of it. Um, today, I'll be having Ruth, Rick and Masora on the show to talk about perfectionism because we have this in common. Ruth is a gifted singer. She's also into textiles and weaving, very good at what she does. But Ruth has the perfectionism disease, as I do. And so today we will be talking about how it's affected us and how we're learning to overcome it um, through our life and just the different areas it affects us. But before we do that, I have a clip from a movie called uh, Tree of Life. It's a brilliant movie. It's a philosophical movie, but it compares nature versus grace. And in this clip, if as you listen, I want you to substitute the word nature with grace. Correction. Substitute the word nature with perfectionism as you listen. Here it is. The nuns taught us there are two ways through life. The way of nature and the way of grace. You have to choose which one you'll follow. Grace doesn't try to please itself. Accepts being slighted, forgotten, disliked. Accepts insults and injuries. Nature only wants to please itself. Get others to please it too. Loving and faithful service. Likes to lord it over them. Bless these boys. To have its own way. It finds reasons to be unhappy when all the world is shining around it. And love is smiling through all things. the way of grace ever comes to a bad end. I will be true to you. Whatever comes. So, Ruth, what did you think about that clip? Uh, well, first time I heard that, um, it was it really hit me 
what she said about the way of nature, or as we're calling it, the way of perfectionism, finds ways to be unhappy, even when the whole world is shining around it. And I think that's something that I've personally experienced is even when um, I have achieved something, even when I've I've done well, I look back on what's happened and I'm I'm determined to find all the things that I did wrong, all the things that mm. don't live up to the expectation that I'm setting myself. And what that does is it, it's just creating this like unachievable goal, this, this hamster wheel where you can never really find any relief. It's right. really exhausting. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why like you calling perfectionism is, is a disease um, is really accurate because it can be so debilitating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, that was, I thought that was a good point in that clip that um, all the world could be shining around you and you're just still miserable even mm-hmm. though you, have, you don't really have a reason to be. And I thought another thing that was really interesting in that clip was when she said, no one who lives uh, by the way of grace ever comes to a bad end. And that was like huge for me because I've had so many existential moments in life, even now where I think, ah, oh, my life isn't the way that I want it to be, you know, or this isn't the end for where I want to be yet. Um, and if you live by grace, you never come to a bad end. Uh, and even in the beginning, it's like um, when you live by grace, uh, you know, you can be slighted and you can let things go. But like those who live by nature or a perfectionist, they want the whole world to bend to their standard of how things should be. And I've really experienced that in my uh, in my own experience about just controlling my environment to, to make sure I get the, my desired end. Uh, so. Now that we're talking about perfectionism, let's get into the nitty gritty of what perfectionism is. And we're going to define perfectionism by first defining what it is not. And Ruth, what what isn't perfectionism? So I think one of the most important things to understand with perfectionism is that it is not striving for excellence. Mm. And for many years, that's that's what I thought it was. And I could see these like perfectionist tendencies in myself. And I think, actually, no, this is good. This is this is motivating me. This is helping me achieve. But really, it's it is not that. It's it's a really debilitating way to view the world and view yourself, um, because instead of um, being motivated for to achieve like the best that you can be, the best is never enough. Right. And so, yeah, like I said before, it's this kind of constant hamster wheel you're running around you're running around you're trying and trying and trying and it doesn't necessarily mean that you're you have a good work ethic or that you have actually you're actually achieving something really good quality um it's this kind of way to work on stuff the way a way to function that sometimes feels productive but really isn't right right and i feel like maybe most of our listeners are people that may be perfectionists you probably Maybe oftentimes if you're applying for a job or talking to a friend, you might slip in the phrase, I'm a bit of a perfectionist. And what you want the other person to hear is that you're committed to excellence, that if you're given a task, you're going to do it to the best of your ability. But if the other person's conscientious and knows what perfectionism is, they would probably be afraid and see the red lights because it's not excellence. Like Ruth said, excellence actually meets realistic standards. Perfectionism strives for unrealistic standards. Exactly. And another thing that I thought 
what perfectionism is not, is that it's not great work ethic. And we'll get into that as, uh, as we develop this thought further. But there's a book by June Hunt called The Perfectionist. I'm going to be taking a lot from um, it through our conversation. And one of the things she says about perfectionists is that perfectionists appear confident, conscientious, and highly productive. But in reality, they are full of self-doubt and fear, and the slightest mistake or misstep will cause others uh, to be disappointed in them or reject them. And they often disregard their own healthy instincts and become overly sensitive to the opinions and feedback of others. I thought that was right on money. Um, is that I think even in my own experiences, I've had a lot of people oh, compliment you know me feeling like I'm a confident person, well-spoken and all those things, but they don't see the other side of the self-doubt, the second guessing, the fear, and wanting to appear like I have no you know, faults or insecurities. Um, so now that we said what perfectionism is not, what is perfectionism? So, I mean, I would say that the perfectionism is really, it's like a, a, a prison where you are constantly setting yourself goals that are kind of impossible to achieve. Mm. Um, and it's really like expecting more of yourself than you actually have to give. Right. Um, kind of like not accepting reality. Right. Right. Which is that last phrase you said, not accepting reality. There's a uh, definition by Leo Gura. Um, and he talks about perfectionism and he says, perfectionism is the neurotic unwillingness to accept reality. Uh, another definition is perfectionism is an unhealthy compulsive pattern of thinking that demands perfection in any undertaking. Anything less than perfect is unacceptable. No task attempted unless perfection is attainable. And like you said, it is a completely, it's, it's just setting major goals that perhaps you don't even have the resources to reach, but you feel like I could do this. Yeah. You know? Um, and for me, it's, uh, as I think Leo says it too, he talks about how as a perfectionist, you get really obsessed about the end result of something, right? Yeah, absolutely. How it's going to look. Is that something that you can resonate with? Yeah, for sure. I, um, I mean, I'm, as Danfi said, I'm a, a creative person. I like studied textile design and weaving. I've always been quite artistic, but. I, I mean, I remember in art class in high school um, having to do like a self-portrait and I was just going over and over the same small bit over and over again um, because it wasn't perfect. Mm. And it was like, this has to look like, it has to look like me. It has to be this perfect representation when like the point of the exercise was, was practice mm. and by, by doing it, hopefully the next time you do it, the portrait will be better. And it's this, this process of like constantly improving. Um, but I was on one of my first attempts to do a self-portrait was expecting it to be the best thing ever. Um, and what that does is it just sets you up for disappointment all the time because you're not accepting that, okay, I haven't tried this before or like I haven't done this very much. Therefore, um, if it doesn't turn out perfectly, it's okay because I tried and right. I'm moving in the right direction. It's like this constant, no, the result has to be the best thing ever every time. <laughs> right, right. And do you find that when you are done, do you feel like it was the best thing ever? When no. you put all that energy into it and all that time? 
No, like because you you look back on it and you and you see everything that could be better. You see the mistakes. You see, um, (laughs) oh, I didn't get quite get my nose right, or like, are my eyes that close together? Right. Um, And like other people, when they look at it, are much more forgiving. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, and I remember my teachers being very encouraging, and I mean, and that was really important for me, and that's kind of why one of the reasons I kept going with my like creative work but yeah other people are much more forgiving because they kind of highlight the good things um say oh you did this really well and I really like what you did there when you're sat there as the perfectionist thinking no but like it doesn't matter that that bit's okay because that bit's wrong mm-hmm. um and I think yeah that's that's a a key pattern of thinking for a perfectionist is like always focusing on the things that like aren't aren't right even when there are good things that can actually eclipse that in reality. Right. Um, that's, that's, that's really good. I, I, I think of, um, for me, I was, I was always an athlete growing up and one of the sports that I did that most people don't know about, unless they know me really well is I used to be a wrestler. And, uh, when I first moved to Virginia beach, I joined the wrestling team and wrestling was fairly new to me because all I did growing up was play soccer. So wrestling was a new undertaking, but, I picked up really well um, wrestling and I had this, I had guys that were, you know, ahead of me older that were like training me and had a good coach. And so I I think it was like my first year of wrestling. I like uh, the first season I pinned almost everyone and pinning somebody is like pretty, pretty good. But I got all the way to the, um, to the city final. And there was one kid who was on the other side of the city who um, also had a good record. I was, I had an undefeated um, record. Nobody had beaten me. And uh, I remember I went into the final, this guy, I had never really gone past like two rounds or three rounds with people because I'd just pin him before I'd get there. And this kid was stubborn <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and the match went longer than I wanted to, but I think I eventually did pin him and I won the final for the city. And um, it was like Virginia beach city. And I, I remember I was sitting there and one of the, one of my teammates came up to me and he was like, because I looked so sad. And he's like, he's like, why are you sad? You just won like city and uh, the city championship and you beat the guy. And, and for me, all I was thinking about was the fact that it took so long. Yeah. I couldn't revel in the fact that I had actually accomplished something great, you know, for the school and for myself. And, but I was just like, Oh, that guy actually made it harder than I really wanted it to be. I wanted him to just lay down when I got on the mat, you know, like who does he think he is, you know, giving me this strong resistance, but it's just that, you know, even when you do something great, it's not great enough, you know? Yeah. Um, and we're going to go into the characteristics of a perfectionist uh, so we can talk further. Because some of you listeners may think, maybe I'm not a perfectionist. But once we go through this, maybe you could see how you could relate to Ruth and I. <laughs> so these are some of the uh, characteristics of a perfectionist. Uh, the first one that um, I'm going to bring up is uh, you may possess the tendencies of perfectionist if you maintain a black or white all or nothing view of life. So the lie and the, the, the mindset behind that is that if I don't succeed at this, I'm a true failure. So is there any aspects of that, that you've experienced Ruth? Uh, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So yeah, like I said, um, I'm, uh, trained in weaving and I graduated uh, like about, five or six years ago from my university degree. And since that time, haven't been able to 
work in textiles like full time. Um, I have a part time job and I try and do things like on the side and in my spare time. But like for about 10 years, I've had this a dream really um, of having my own business and having a kind of social enterprise model, which is um, a business that's really focused on on people, on like giving back and making um making the world a better place instead of draining it of resources and exploiting people basically. So um, I would love to have a model where I could train people and um, be creating things to sell that kind of, that kind of thing. And I've had this, it's been on my heart for a long time, which is amazing. And I, I love that, that God inspired me with that idea. And I I do feel like it's from him, but um, my, my problem over this last decade since that, idea came to me was is like until I see that happening and until I I feel like I'm really working towards that in a very very intentional kind of full-time type way it feels like I'm I'm a failure like I'm not doing my purpose Mm. like I'm not actually doing what I feel I was I was put here to do um and and that's a really that's a really tough place to be because even if you look in in the Bible, there are so many stories of of people who had a very specific calling on their life, but had to wait a long time to see it happen. Mm. Like I'm just constantly challenged by the story of of Joseph and the story of King David, who at a very young age were given a kind of vision um, or an anointing of what they would ultimately be. So, like Joseph had these dreams of of being like an, at a higher kind of authority level than his brothers, and um, ultimately, years down the line, that did happen. But he mm-hmm. went through a lot of a lot of challenge and a lot of moments where he must have been like, "What the heck is going on? Right. Like, God, have you forgotten me?" So, yeah, it's it's tough because in those moments, it's like how how can you um, hold on to what you feel is is true and um, and not be just totally derailed by this feeling that because it's not happening right now and because I don't feel like I'm doing it now it's an utter failure Um, because it's that the all or nothing problem is um, if this thing that I expect and of myself or this thing that I I really want and feel like I should do or should have isn't happening now in front of me that I failed, I'm worthless, I'm not good enough. Mm -hmm. Um, When actually, if you look at it through realistic and kind eyes, if you're looking at yourself, um, it's like, no, there are circumstances which have slowed things down or like it costs money to start a business and so right. saving up and gaining experience and networking, all those things can be really valuable. But because like the steps that I want to take aren't happening, it's it's really, it's it's a challenge. So like I really, I do relate to this kind of, this pattern. Right. Do you think the black and white mentality is a result of not looking at what it takes to do something like the details and the time frame, you know, because it seems like it's almost like it, you, you, you teeter totter on like the black and white because this thing has to happen right now and has to look this way immediately. So it's like the details and the time that comes along with it could be just tiresome and exhausting and probably maybe even more demotivating. Right. Is that, does you think the details like kind of feed into the black and white yeah, uh, mentality? I- I think so. Um, and I mean, it's, it's hard cause we're kind of in, in this culture now where, where things are so instant. Right. I think, um, 
for the perfectionist that it's it's really not helping us because <laughs> yeah. um especially when there's like stories of people who who gain success overnight or like at a very young age right. um, and with with social media you have the whole world um on your phone and you can see all these people who are achieving such incredible things and i mean that comparison game is so dangerous right but yeah i think it can be a real it can be a real distraction because well, i mean one thing that's really much better than than focusing on that that one result is is focusing on the process and one thing that you that you lose when you're not focusing on the process is actually that things take many d- small steps mm. to get there um the kind of the all or nothing thinking can really come in when you're like i should be able to just make one big leap and i'll be there right um it's really this kind of unrealistic expectation of of yourself that you should be able to do more than you actually have the capacity right now. Right. Yeah. Right. That's, that's very true. You may be a perfectionist if you set impossible high goals and then strive to achieve them. And the message behind that is I must never make a mistake. I will always win high praise. So that whole message of like, I must never make a mistake and always setting high praise for me, setting impossible high goals. It started like as, as a kid and I was, as I was telling you earlier, I had, there's this book my parents would make me read and I wasn't a great reader when I was growing up and um, they would always make me read this book. And sometimes they were like, when I was acting up, they're like, go get the book and read it. And I would always cringe because I could never read the book perfectly. And so every time they, they would ask me to read the book, I would mess up one word. So then I developed this complex where it's like, if I can't do something perfectly right away, I don't even want to bother if I can ensure that whatever task I'm taking or whatever thing I'm about to try that's new, if I'm not going to be good at it, forget it. I don't want to do it. And it's this like this ability or not really, it's not really a good ability, but it's like this lie of like setting impossible high goals. So if I'm going to do this, I, it's got to look like this. Like yeah. I, I've got to be the best of the best. It's just setting this goal. And it's not even, I miss the steps of even getting to a place where I'm actually good enough. You know, I just want to be the best at the thing right when I start. And I think you talked about that earlier about setting like impossible goals. Like, is that something you've, you've experienced as well? Yeah. I mean, I think what you said that even about, um, yeah, just those, those expectations that we can put on ourselves to do, do something for the first time or really early on and be the best that that is, that's such a, a common thought in my head. And like, when you say it out loud and you kind of reflect on it, you're like, wow, that's, that's so arrogant actually yeah. to, <laughs> um, to think that like, you're going to be the best at anything that you try. Right. Um, and I think for me, it's, it's been really, I mean, that's something that I, I do think, and I'm really, it's frustrating that I, that I, that I have those, those kind of thoughts, but I mean, I, when I was, when I was in school, I was what you'd call an all rounder. So, um, pretty much every subject I would achieve highly in. And I did, I did work hard and I did put effort in. It's not like I just like cruised through Mm -hmm. without studying or anything, but, um, it was like, it soon kind of developed. I developed this idea that like anything that I turned my hand to, I'd be good at. Um, and within the school system that, that was true. But then since coming out of that, it's become very apparent that's, that's not the case. Mm. Um, that actually I, 
I have specific areas and specific things which I am good at and um, I'm definitely not stupid, but <laughs> but it, having that expectation that absolutely anything you try, right. you're going to be amazing at. It's just, yeah, it's it's impossible. Like no no one can be that. Right. I mean, we we look back on someone like Leonardo da Vinci, who was um, a genius in many many ways, but I'm pretty sure there were some areas where he was weak. Right. Right. <laughs> um, and because it, it's just impossible for us to be good at everything. Yeah. And that's like, that's the desire of the perfectionist is to want to be good at everything. Yeah, absolutely. Like I have to, I have to achieve, I have to be the best. It's like anything less than the best is right. not good enough. It's interesting because for you as a perfectionist schoolwork, like you succeeded in school and you did yeah. pretty well in school. Whereas like for me, I didn't, try at all at school. I just barely wanted to survive because I was afraid that if I tried hard and I failed, I couldn't handle that. So if I always just got by, at least I could always tell myself, well, I didn't try. So that's why I got that grade. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like if I tried, you know, I, I, I'd be, I'd have a plus, you know, like I, it would be easy for me, but yeah. I didn't try. So I don't care. And it's funny how the perfectionist, it could go either way. Yeah. Where like you really overachieve or you sorely underachieved you know like you don't push yourself at all yeah for fear of how it's gonna look and that's funny that we both have that different experience of, of what of that i think that's really it's really important to highlight that actually because it's perfectionism is going to show itself in different ways for different people because mm -hmm. for some people perfectionism looks like completely like overworking yourself pushing and pushing working really really hard and just like refusing to stop but for other people and um I mean, I actually, I've experienced both of these extremes, actually. So I think you both, you can find both in one person. But yeah, you can also f find it where one person can be so afraid to not achieve the best that you reason, why bother trying? Right. And um, that, that like, the risk of, of not getting it right, of not being the best is like, the risk of that not happening is too much. And you, you just don't want to deal with the possibility that that could be true. Mm -hmm. um, you may be a perfectionist if you become overly concerned with what others think of you, fearing you may lose respect, status, or favor if you're exposed as being imperfect or normal. And the lie behind that is no one will accept me if, if I were known for who I really am. This one is, uh, <laughs> it's funny because there's a bit of me that doesn't care what people think of me. And then there's a bit of me that cares way too much yeah. <laughs> and i think that part that cares way too much is if i put myself out there for doing something so yeah. even doing this podcast i feared what people are like thinking about me as the content is it good enough or um is the sound quality good enough i mean the last recording i i did was was not great and I was, i'm learning all these things and I found out that my gain on my mic was way too high and it picked up all the background noises and all that stuff. And I got into this state where I was just like, oh, people are probably listening and think, what an amateur. Like, he probably, like, what is he doing? He doesn't know what he's doing, you know? Like, just quit already. And I went through all these thoughts and then I started, I started telling Amy, I was like, you know what? I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. I quit and I'm going to shut it down. She's like, are you serious? And I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't. I'm just, I'm just too afraid that it's not going to be good enough. And that those feelings were informed by the fact that I feared what other people were going to think of me. 
you know, that something, this wasn't going to be good enough and that I wasn't going to be accepted. Right. Because if they could see that, Oh, I don't really, I'm learning on the, like through this process, then they would be like, Oh, he's a fraud. Right. But, but I wanted to come off as one who knows what he's doing and has done this before, you know, and it's a trap. (laughs) It's a trap. And I'm sure you could speak to that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that, that feeling of being a fraud is so prevalent for, for perfectionists mm-hmm. um, because as much as like you, you think I should be able to do this. Like I can, I can be the best. I can achieve this. Um, there's also this like intense awareness of where you don't measure up. Mm. And the idea of sharing that with the world is terrifying right. because you're like, then people will think that I'm completely useless. Mm. I, I mean, it even it comes back to that all or nothing kind of mindset that um, unless people see me achieving the best all the time, they're it's, not going to value me. They're it's not extremely competent. Me. Yeah. Yeah. And like, unless I show that I'm competent and intelligent, like all the time, then people, yeah, people won't accept me if I'm not like that. Right. When, mistakes are a part of life and yeah, no, no one's perfect. Right. Um, and actually, I mean, something that is kind of as a perfectionist is a terrifying thought to me is that people actually do notice our weaknesses. <laughs> <laughs> Even you saying that makes me feel uncomfortable. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, right. no, no. Cause I think like part of the time we're, as perfectionists, we're like living in this kind of bubble where we're like, okay, no one else can see this. So I'm right. okay. But actually, I mean, sometimes we can hide it and we do successfully hide it, but sometimes we don't. And like right. we mess up and people see that. And I think something that I need to remember more and I think is, um, is helpful is that for my whole life, people have watched me make mistakes and they're still around. Mm. Like my my parents have seen me in all situations, like in my best at my worst. And they like, they're still around and they still love me. And friends who I've had for years, the same thing. Like they've experienced me being really annoying or like kind of, I don't know, obsessive over certain things mm. or like we all have an awareness of where like our friends and family are, are weak. Um, mm. And yet we still accept them. So why should they not return the favor? Why, right. why, would, they, why would they not do that for us? And, and I think the problem is with, with the perfectionist thinking is that you, you just kind of intentionally or unintentionally forget that or like refuse to acknowledge that even though you are weak in some areas, like right. people are still around. Right, right. And there was a point that you had about um, just thinking, pretty much projecting your thoughts onto other people, what they're thinking about you. And what was yeah. that one? Um, so I, I call it mind reading. And I think that's kind of the the term that some therapists would use for this. It's the kind of um, that when something happens or um, you say something, you come up in your, in your own mind, you come up with what that other person is thinking Mm. when you actually have like no grounds to, to make any, any kind of comment on that. Um, And so it can be really damaging because something, something could happen that's completely innocent and the other person uh, could just be like, not even intending to be malicious or mean or anything, but you can be like, Oh my gosh, they hate me. Like, how could they say that? Or how could they ignore me? Or, and you reason 
you come up with all these reasons for why other people do things right based on your own insecurities basically and you believe it you believe this is exactly what this person believes yeah, in me and is thinking sure. about me um and i've i've had that like and it's like i think it leads to also like conclusions about that person yeah so you conclude this is this is who this person is and this is what they think of me uh and i've had that many times and then to be completely proven wrong it's like it's like almost like a smack in the face you're like yeah. oh why did i why do i do this why do i constantly do this why do i pr- like assume what somebody else is thinking of me right and i can definitely relate to that there's been many instances where you maybe even if you have like a a conversation a very vulnerable conversation with somebody then you walk away from that and then you think hmm that person thinks i'm this or this and this and this and that and then you start to like feel uncomfortable about that person cuz you you're projecting all these things that you think they think about you but they might not be thinking that at all you know and it's yeah. it's it's just the mind reading is a trap it really is cuz it could also ruin yeah. relationships Absolutely. You could you could literally write somebody off because you think something that they think about you that might not be true that hasn't been confirmed, right? But you might believe it and just completely ignore the person. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's like a really simple everyday example is if you if you text somebody and then they don't reply. Mm-hmm. Like, I think many people, even possibly people who aren't perfectionists, could relate to this feeling of like you automatically think the worst a lot right. of the time. It's like oh my gosh, like I said something and they're mad with me right. or, oh, they don't want to talk to me anymore. Like you can come to these really crazy conclusions right. and really they just had a really busy day at work and they didn't have time to look at their phone or yeah. whatever it is. But we just jump to these like extreme conclusions, which actually, if you, if you think about it rationally, it's like, oh, hang on. No, like maybe, maybe they were busy. Mm-hmm. Maybe they had other stuff. Maybe like they're going through stuff and they just needed a bit of space, whatever it is. I think, one one thing that I've really come to realize about perfectionism is how it really, it puts me at the center of my universe. And it can sometimes, I, sometimes I just feel so trapped in my own head because there's all this stuff that's kind of swirling around. And it, it can really prevent you from being there for other people in a meaningful way, from being empathetic to people. Right, right. Um, because all the time it's like everything cycles back to, but how do they see me now? Right. What does this mean for me? I feel like I'm a failure. All these things can can just bring it back to making me the the biggest person in the world when actually I I am I'm valuable and I have a place in the world that is significant, but I'm not the center. Mm-hmm. And I mean as Christians we we believe that God is the center of, of existence and the purpose um for existence. And it's kind of like me trying to put myself in that spot where everything should revolve around me. Um and just like refusing to understand or even like accept that other people might think differently or um, have more insight in that moment. Right. Right. And it's interesting you say that um, because the next point is that you may be perfectionist if, if you feel upset about the smallest mistake, especially when someone points it out because it makes you think I would never have credibility after making such a stupid mistake because someone has seen me make that mistake. And that's almost like, hard to take correction, right? Because like you spoke about earlier, people see our weaknesses more than we actually think they do, but then we don't want that to be seen or we want the illusion that it's not being seen. Right. And it's interesting that you say that uh, because it's, there's, there's been cases even at my new job. Well, it's not new anymore, but when I was learning, when I was in the learning process, um, like when I made a mistake at the job, it was devastating. 
because it was devastating because I didn't want my the person training me to think that I was incompetent. I was un, unable to do this job or whatnot. And, and also it also came at, um, at the same time where the person who was training me had made, had given me compliments. So like, Oh, he's like, he's like, Oh, you're the prodigy. You really did well on this. And then I made a mistake and he pointed it out. And I'm just like, I've lost all credibility. He's going to think I'm not good enough for this job, you know, and this and that. And it's, it's hard to really just kind of like accept when someone points something, Oh, that wasn't right. You did that wrong without thinking you think I'm an idiot now, you know, like, like it's like, you didn't just, you know, you pointed that out because you wanted to make sure that I knew this because I'm just completely incompetent, you know? Um, and it's also, it goes along with the mind reading, right? Yeah, absolutely. Very, uh, it's an odd experience, but something that is, uh, it's important to get notice of because then you can really deal with those emotions before they come in like a flood. Yeah. Right. Like if you can just, okay, them pointing this out, isn't them saying you're an idiot or you can't do this job or you aren't good enough as an artist or you aren't this and that. And and those who are actual critics who do criticize us and stuff like that, um, they often don't really do it in a peaceable way. So we know when they're being unreasonable, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's, that's one point that I've, I've had difficulty with is not losing credibility. Yeah. The way, yeah. The way that you are viewed by the people and like your performance is so important mm-hmm. for perfectionists. And um, we, yeah, we kind of, we really need to learn that that's not what truly defines us. Mm-hmm. That, like we're not defined by how much we perform or how much we achieve. And equally, we're not defined by our mistakes and our our failures. Mm-hmm. Um, that actually we have a, a value and a purpose regardless of those things. Because um, I think, like you were saying, this it can, it can feel so devastating if someone points out a mistake or something that you did wrong. Um, and it, it really, it takes us to a, a really unhealthy place. If we, if we then start thinking, Oh no, so I can't do anything or like, Oh, I'm a complete letdown. Or right. they must think I'm such a, a waste of time, whatever the thought is, because ultimately the way, the way to grow and get better and to achieve that excellence that we really want is, is through those mistakes. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm accepting that okay this didn't work but let's try again or i'll know for next time mm-hmm. yeah um you may be a perfectionist if you compare your weaker skills to the finest traits and talents of others and the message behind that is why can't i be as good as they are this for me is so big <laughs> like my husband all the time is like why are you comparing yourself to this <laughs> i like they're an expert you're like you're a novice <laughs> yeah 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 yeah, this um, this one is. I mean, I've had. I think it's it's so clear for me that Amy even observes it, and then she'll tell me. She's like, I think it's. I think I think you need to get off the internet. <laughs> she'll just say that. I th- like, she's like, I think yeah. you need to just go and create something without looking at the internet because she's like, I feel like when you get on the internet, you start looking at what other people are doing, you start comparing yourself, and you start like diminishing what you have. And then she, she'll say like, you're getting better at this. Like it's, and it's like, it's true. It's like, I'm working at getting better at this or whatnot, but it's like, that's not what I want to hear. I want to hear I'm the best at it. You yeah. know, like, which, yeah. like you said, it's this underlining arrogance in there. 
Um, and I don't know why we compare our weaker skills to someone's someone's finest traits. I know. And that happened for me when I was uh, learning guitar, playing guitar. I, I had a friend who taught me just how to strum and just playing guitar and just playing different notes and stuff like that. And, and as I was learning, I was, I would watch, you know, videos of like people playing and I was just like, wow, like I can't do that. I don't want to try it anymore. You know? So I just, I just gave up, you know, I was like, uh, I'm not as good as that guy. So why, why try when that guy that I'm watching has probably been playing for like 10 years? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And I just started what? five months ago, you know, um, but it's a trap. It's another trap, right? The comparison. Yeah. And I, and I think social media just exasperates that to another level. Right. Absolutely. Cause people are putting out their absolute best. Exactly. And, and we can fall into the trap so easily of, of thinking that that's their normal or like, right. That's their process when actually that's, that's a, a very curated a very, um, very polished version of what life is. Or, I mean, there are some people who are amazing at like sharing on social media about like, yeah, today wasn't great for this reason or mm. whatever. But a lot of people are just putting out the best. And, right. Um, and I mean, even like outside of social media, even just like in life, we we love like going and seeing or experiencing people who are really good at what they do right like um i love going to art galleries and um just like appreciating the amazing creativity that exists in the world and like um but it can be a really devastating trap if i if i let myself go down the rabbit hole of like oh but these people are like exhibiting in galleries and like they are so good at like at painting in this way or whatever mm. and then i'm like no but like I'm not like that. And so you can kind of reason, oh, because someone else is good at it, that means that I'm not right. at all. Or like it kind of, it just attacks your your sense of self-worth. When actually like we can just appreciate that other people are, are really good at stuff. Right. And um, like you were saying, acknowledge just the work that it takes to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, because with with this kind of, the when you compare your weak skills to someone else's strong ones, yeah, we, we're just like refusing to, to accept the, that that time and that effort and the hard work that people have put in. Right. Yeah. And the social media aspect is, is huge. Like you said, people put out their best. Yeah. Um, and in fact, I think it's, it's, it's also these platforms facilitate that. Yeah. It's not, it's not really there for you to put out your normal. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody wants to see normal. People want to see exceptional things, even with the Instagrams and all this perfect pictures, perfect family, perfect hair, perfect image you know, perfect husband, perfect wife, perfect kids. Like it's just, it's these platforms are there to really just mess with perfectionist. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Like it's just a taunt, you know? And, yeah. uh, and it's, it's interesting because with the comparison comes the minimization of what you have. Yeah. Right. So it's, you may be a perfectionist if you minimize your God given gifts and agonize over areas of lesser, lesser natural ability. Right. Yeah. So you may be good at something, but because you're out there comparing so much, like you minimize these things that God has put in you that you're actually good at, yeah. right? That you've been affirmed, you know, and you could be even better at if you work at it. But because you're so fixated on somebody else's strengths in comparison to your weaker side, you just neglect. Yeah. Have you found, your, have you found yourself minimizing things that 
come naturally that God has given you that, you know, that you could be working at because you're looking at somebody else. Yeah, really. That That's kind of the the season I'm in at the moment. It's, it's kind of, I feel like I'm a bit stuck there actually. And I, something I've really noticed is just how ungrateful I've been and that really flows out of this, this route of looking at what other people have. And instead of like giving them praise or giving God praise for like what he's given them, it's like, it's always flipping the coin and, and being like, Oh, but they have that, but I don't have this. Right. Um, and yeah, like you say, you minimize all the good things that you have. Like, so yeah. Um, at the moment I'm, I'm trying to work on a, a bit of a weaving project. Um, and whenever I see someone else who's created like a really beautiful piece or like finished something or if, like, like I was saying, if I go to an exhibition, it's like, I see that finished product. I'm like, okay, because I'm not there, mm-hmm. I like, I'm not in the mode where I'm like appreciating how far I've come with with my project right. it's like because it's not finished because it's not at this like beautiful polished finished place even like the steps that i have made aren't enough when actually like if if we were if we were grateful for every step that we made um and if we were thankful for like or like i can be thankful for the fact that i i have a space to weave i have a loom i have like time to to work on that that stuff when when i have it and there are so many things that we can be thankful for, or even if we're not at like the peak or even if we're not at the end right. that like in, even in the middle, you can look back and be like, okay, I, like I made a few steps forward. Right. Um, but what, what that comparison does is it, it really robs you of that, that gratefulness. Right. Um, because you're always focusing on what you don't have instead of what you do have. And it's true. I think that ingratitude grows, even when you do start to acquire things. Yeah. to make whatever you're working on better or as you get better because you haven't practiced gratitude. Yeah. Even when things do come, you're still looking at something else that you don't have. Right. Yeah. Um, perhaps maybe you could be finished with the piece you're working on and it could be great and people could praise you for it, but you could look at it and say, well, it's not in a, an exhibit. You yeah. know, it's not being viewed by, you know, these type of high class people, you know, and, and then it's not just that we, we, we just, acknowledge or gratitude it's like it has to be across the board with everything right we we have to practice it now so that as things come as we grow and whatever it is we're achieving we still maintain a heart of gratitude yeah. right um and i think ingratitude like I'm, I'm, I'm thankful you brought that up ingratitude is very like home for a perfectionist it's very mm. familiar yeah you know like because you're always looking um minimizing comparing you know um, and the next one is finding fault with others, feeling frustrated because they don't meet your standards. Uh, why can't people do what you ask them without any mistakes? You know, yeah. which is really unfair because you make mistakes. <laughs> and I think this one, this might be a, a nitpicky one, but I find finding fault comes out in the relationships I have. Mm-hmm. So an, an illustrations with Amy, I'm, I like order and tidiness and, um, Amy's the opposite. <laughs> um, we're both really clean. Amy's super clean, actually, but she's not tidy. And sure. so I have I have an order of how things happen. When I walk into the house, I have a basket by the door and I put the keys in there, the car keys. I put my shoes in the same place every day and I like the shoes to be put away. 
when Amy takes the car keys and goes out, that key could end up anywhere in the house. <laughs> and then when it's time for me to find the keys to go out, I'm like, where's the keys? And then I, I get, I get annoyed or I just kind of get angry or, I mean, just these little things. And it's like, it's that, it's that thing. I find fault so quickly because she's not doing it exactly the way I want it to be done yeah. when it's really not a big deal, but because I, and and it's funny. I think people need to understand this. Like perfectionists are really picky with themselves, mm-hmm. so it inevitably spills out onto other people. Yeah. Right. It's not just that you're picky with others all the time, but it's like you do that to yourself. So it's just naturally happens that you do it to other people. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sure. And I I found I found that, and I'm yeah, it's been a problem. Yeah, I think. Um, well, I think marriage as a relationship just highlights so many of our flaws. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and I mean, yeah, I, I can relate to those that kind of thing a lot, too, because so like for us, like my husband, Sajit there, he's um, he wasn't like raised cooking very much, um, whereas like I started cooking from a really young age and really enjoy it. Um, but recently I've been really busy. And so he's been doing a lot more of the cooking. And um, there have been a few days where. I've come home and he's been in the middle of cooking dinner and I've just found myself being like, Oh, like why isn't dinner ready now? Or like, Oh no, I, I, you shouldn't do it that way. Like you should do it this way. And like coming in and like my first reaction being look at like, you're doing that bit wrong. Right. When actually like who cares whether it's a bit, it's not as good. I'm doing air quotes there. Um, as what I would cook. Um, the fact that he's cooking for me is an incredible blessing. Right, right. <laughs> um, and like, so that's what like with the, going back to the gratitude thing, it's like instead of appreciating what he is doing, I'm like, I'm just nitpicking the things mm. that are wrong. And he actually, he he challenged me on it uh, like just last week, actually. <laughs> I was like, why do you have to criticize like those those things when I, I'm actually, I'm, I am serving you, I'm helping you. Mm. And I, and it really hit me. And it's like, it's one of the reasons I think like, I really appreciate him and I appreciate marriages, like how we can be challenged on these things. Um, because yeah, I was just completely in the wrong. Like I, it, it's much better for our relationship and it's better for my mental state to, to just appreciate what he is doing. Right. Cause I think, yeah, with, with perfectionism, we can get so caught up in those little details, um, so caught up on like the tiny things that are wrong, um, that we lose the big picture, and that can be, especially when it when it spills out into relationships, that it can be really devastating for relationships because mm-hmm. if you do stay in that place where you're always just pointing out what's wrong, like the people who are bearing all of that, like that's a really heavy burden to bear. And it's just, it's tiring to feel like you're trying so hard and you're, you're giving to somebody and nothing's ever good enough. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, and it's that same pattern that happens internally, which I think for some reason, I think the, the internal soundtrack that that is nitpicky um, can kind of go undetected for a long time, but it's like, it's really hard to, to hide behind anything with other, with other people. Cause it just does come out in relationships. Yeah, so yeah, easily. it does. Um, I found that too in work, even work environments, um, just making remarks, um, that somebody didn't do something the way I wanted it to be done. 
And uh, I know that my last job I had, there were two guys I used to work with who picked up on my OCD, picked up on my perfectionism. Um, and they would do things intentionally to get me <laughs> riled up, um, leaving. Cause I, like I said, I'm, I'm all about order and tidiness and, and I had to do, we had to pack a truck full of, uh, furniture and I didn't like to waste space. So sometimes they would pack <laughs> the truck in such a way that there was like space that could be used, but they didn't use it. And then they would like, look at me to see if I would squirm. <laughs> <laughs> and uh i laugh at it now but um yeah it was it's, it was hard to deal with because i was like no no that that's a waste of space that's like we could we could be using more of that space and and this could be done so much better so it's it's also i think part of the fault finding creates this inability to release work to people mm. and trust that they can do it you know yeah because you're, you're afraid they won't do it to your standard yeah it won't be perfect and so you kind of take on more than you need to because yeah. maybe you should probably give this over to somebody so you can focus on something else. But because there's just that fear that something won't be perfect and the fear that, okay, this person won't honor my standards and I want to protect myself from, from you know, finding fault with it. I'm just going to do it myself. Yeah. You know, and I found that to be kind of true in my, a lot of my experiences. It's like, you could probably let this one go, but yeah. Your perfectionism is telling you. Oh, yeah. That control is so big. Yeah. Um, Cause it's like, no, I have to do this. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm the only one who can do this right. properly. Um, when most of the time that's either not true or it doesn't matter if it's not perfect. Right. Right. As long as, like you said, with, <laughs> with Jeff making you a dinner, at least it's being done. Yeah. He's making you dinner, you know, but, <laughs> and, and I think that's what, I think that when we have a different mentality dealing with this disease of perfectionism, you could see the good, like kind of like the, the yeah. beginning of the, the clip. Um, no end, like you, you're, you're okay with whatever the end might be, right? As long as it's done, like it might not be yeah. to your standards, but it's done, right? And being grateful for that person's attempt, you know? Um, yeah. And yeah, and, and, and like we went back to what well, perfection, perfection is not. Excellence is meeting the standard, so if someone meets the standard of this, it's not, and I guess what perfectionists want is that it supersedes the standards. Yeah. And that's where we have, we get into the neurotic unwillingness to accept reality mm-hmm. um, because we have just, I don't know, an illusion of how things should be. Yeah, sure. This next point is really hits home for me. Um, you may be a perfectionist if you procrastinate, um, because you feel intimidated that whatever it is you're attempting to do might not come out perfectly. So the, the, the lie behind that is I can't start this task or this assignment until I have everything I need to do it perfectly. Or I can't do this until I know that the result will be perfect. Yep. And I have, in fact, I've, I've been combating this specific lie in my life where I start things and I don't finish it. Like I I have a string of things that I've started that I didn't finish. I have a book that I attempted and you know about that. (laughs) I started the book and started going into it and then just completely stopped because I'm afraid that it's not going to be good at the end, that it might not just turn out the way I'm envisioning it to turn out. Um, And so the process of working at it has become way too heavy. Mm -hmm. And so I procrastinate 
And the procrastination has just spanned over months now where I haven't even gone back. And even fear that I won't go back. I don't want to do it because if I don't try, then I don't have to, you know, look at the, the fate of maybe something not being good at the end. Right. Yeah. Um, because we always look at the negative. What could the negative, like what, how bad could it be? Yeah. Not how good could it be or how, mm-hmm. what if it's just good enough? Like, I think there's a quote by Voltaire where he says that perfect is the enemy of the good. Yeah. And even quoting that is like, I don't want to be good enough. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, it always so- feels like offensive to be like, no, good isn't good enough. Yeah. When actually it is like, it's good enough. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know if you've, uh, do you experience, you know, times of like extreme procrastination? Um, yeah, I mean, this is something that, I mean, it's kind of, in many ways, I like I, when I reflect on it, it seems ridiculous because as a creative person, one of the key things about being creative is that you can take, that you take risks and you try new things mm. and that actually that, in that process of, of trying something and it not working and then you kind of problem solving, you can come up with something that's really good. Right. Um, and like when I was on my degree, I really... Um, I think the the structure and the framework that I had there was it was a really safe space for me, and so I felt really able to to try things creatively and like I had all these ideas and would like try them out and yeah, but like that but the fear of of like of risk like and it not working out mm-hmm. is one of like the biggest things that would demotivate me now, so like the project that I referenced before that I've been working on like with my weaving that there was a real a period at the beginning um well a really long period of procrastinating because I wasn't sure exactly how I would tackle a certain aspect like this uh, like a certain technique I was trying to like I just wasn't sure what technique would be best and just the fact that I I couldn't pinpoint that mm-hmm. was stopping me from actually trying it when actually like the only way to know which one is best is to try them right. and like to try different things and like, and sort it out from there. Um, but yeah, procrastination is, is huge. I really struggle with that because it's like, it just feels unacceptable to, to try something and it not work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the procrastination for me, I found in university specifically. So if there was like a paper uh, I had to hand in, um, prior to the assignment being assigned, I would have so many ideas of what I was going to write about. Yeah. And I'd be really excited about it, you know, the ideas and how I'm going to get it out. But then I would be so afraid to tackle it because I was like, okay, what if this doesn't come out the way I want? Yeah. But then the procrastination pushes it all the way to due date. Yeah. So then when the due date comes up, I have to do, it's just, I can't give my best because I have to get it out. So I produce something that's just subpar. And then I'm like, that's not the paper I dreamed of finishing and that actually ends up reinforcing the lie that you begin with um that what your idea isn't going to be the best that you've got because if you if we could actually be free to like try stuff make mistakes improve Mm. then um through that process you can actually do your best Mm. and that at that time and but in but instead we get so caught up on it having to be the best immediately or having to be the best without the mistakes happening. Right. Right. That, that we, we force ourselves to not do our best. 
Exactly. It, it's so like when you actually unpick it, like it's so ridiculous <laughs> that like that we have these patterns. But um, I don't know speaking from experience, it's like when you're in it, it's so hard to piece them, like to take them apart right. and to really see them as they are. Right. And it's, it is a cycle. It's a, it's, it's such a, it's like a hamster wheel. It just keeps going. And yeah. I mean, like you, you know what's happening, but you just get caught in it, you know? Yeah. And the other aspect of this is like what prompts perfectionists to overachieve. And I got some points where I wrote, it's, um, so the spur of fame, is one prompting to want to overachieve, to prove, seeking self-worth, to produce, and the uh, in producing, you're seeking significance because that's the most important thing. Performance, and in our performance, we want to seek love, admiration, and recognition. Provide, um, seeking to be indispensable. This is interesting because you might, we might not voice this, but you want to be that person, whether it's in a workplace, whether it's in church, whether it's in friends group, where you want to be missed if you're not there for yeah. what you're producing. Mm-hmm. Like you want your employer or whoever's overseeing you to be like, we can't do this without Ruth. Mm-hmm. Like our company's going down without Danfi. You know what? You, yeah. <laughs> like it's, it's ridiculous, you know? Like, but that's what you think when you know, you're a perfectionist is that I want to produce to be, to prove something Mm -hmm. to make myself indispensable. Right. Um, and you also, we also strive to overachieve because we want to protect, you know, seeking to avoid vulnerability and intimate relationships. Like we said, we talked about, uh, prospering, seeking material possessions, um, and for approval and acceptance, wanting to be flawless and lacking, lacking nothing, you know, Mm -hmm. um, and these are these are all things that prompts perfectionists to overachieve. Mm. Um, and I'm sure you've uh, you could probably speak to that um, with regards to all that. Yeah, I think I mean in particular that it comes from this like place of such like deep insecurity about who you really are because it, like you're constantly in this on this quest to prove yourself and like you do that through, through like performing and achieving and all those things and it's like. I mean, going back to to the clip that you played at the beginning, like the way of perfectionism versus the way of grace. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like this: with with grace, we have everything. We are we are given all the value, all the significance, um, and the fact that like that Jesus died for us, um, it, like gives each one of us such value and significance like he would do that for us mm-hmm. he would go that far and he thought we were worth it and so like we start from this place of of having all that stuff but the lie of perfectionism and um and that comes out of this insecurity is that actually we think we we don't have that and we're trying desperately to find it right um and yeah all all of these all of these things um, it's all like something that comes from being on the defensive that we're like, we're never in this, this place of, of peace or rest. It's like, Oh, I'm always trying to strive and defend and protect what I have. Right. Right. What do you think contributes to perfectionist perfectionism? Like what kind of things makes somebody become a perfectionist? Oh, I mean, I think probably for a lot of people, it can start like at a really young age, mm. like depending on like, your parents and how you're raised mm-hmm. um or even like 
relationships can be really significant. I mean, my my parents were never, um, they never really like pushed me or crit- overly criticized me if I didn't achieve, but they were, they were always very, um, very clear in like complimenting me and encouraging me when I did. Mm-hmm. And I think like we can internalize even things like that, which like they weren't in, they weren't trying to, to push me or control me in any way, but I was interpreting all those things like the fact that I was achieving and I was being praised and affirmed as like, you then make this connection between the two things. It's Mm. like, okay, so to be affirmed, I have to achieve Mm -hmm. instead of it just being like, no, you are loved and valued as you are. Mm. But we're so proud of you for what you did. Right. Um, Right. Like in my mind, it was flipped and it was like, no, you won't have that love and value and pride in, until you achieve right? And, or unless you achieve. So, I mean, that that's, I think, my experience. Um, that's interesting you say that because most people would think, okay, it's like a perfectionist would be the product of a parent nitpicking the kid, oh, do this right and this and that, mm-hmm. which it does, it could happen that way too, right? Yeah. But definitely. it's funny because expectations too, like high praise. Like I grew up in a family where I was, my parents really believed in me. They believed I could do whatever I wanted. And they, they constantly encouraged me. And, and so I built this narrative of significance that everything I do has to be significant Yeah. because, and I, and I know they weren't in their heads. They weren't trying to create a perfectionist, but that's what they created. (laughs) You know, is that um, this feeling of that I have to do something great. Right. Um, Because that's what they told me I'm I'm capable of doing. And if I don't do that, that's failure. Mm. And I'm not, I I don't, they've never said that if you don't do this, like it's failure, but that's what I've, I've, I've internalized that message. Right. Yeah. I think it's very rarely like, well, I don't know, maybe that's a broad statement, but I think many times it's not explicitly said. Right. It's not, it's like you said, it's not always being specifically nitpicked. Right. Um, but it's like, especially as as children, we we internalize a lot of things and interpret a lot of things um, internally, and so it can go on without our parents even realizing that we're thinking something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a real a real challenge because people can be acting with the best of intentions, right? Right, and it's even I mean society, right? Every Society tells us good grades means you're important. So parents yeah. tell their kids that, you know, or good grades ensures a better future, good education, all these other things that, you know, the society creates perfectionism, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, no one's commended for just being average. Yeah. You know, no one's commended for just meeting the standard, right? Um, and along with that, society and culture has become these mediums in which we communicate now which now it's got to be everything like we've talked about earlier. It makes you fixated on how you look. Is it good enough? Am I meeting up to what society tells me I should meet up to Mm -hmm. what the world says is good. Right. Um, Whereas those standards should be different. Mm. And uh, going back to that clip, like no end is imperfect when we live by grace, the grace of God. And God is really the one who should be setting the standards, right? And I don't think anywhere in the Bible God has said that your life should look 
perfect an Instagram photo. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Or, you know, like yeah. it, the standard that I've set for man is that you take really exotic vacations and take pictures of it, you know, or that you have a job that is significant and you make six figure salary and you can provide the best for your family. You know, I, I, those standards, I don't see those standards in, in the Bible or, you know, but these are things that mold and shape perfectionists. Um, and, and I also think it's our, it's our human nature, the sin, the fallen nature, the human, you know, the desire to be greater than we really are. Yeah. Do you know? I mean, that was, that was the, the temptation in the garden, wasn't mm-hmm. it? They're like, don't you want to be like God? Mm. Don't you want to like be able to make those calls between what's good and evil. Right. Um, that was what was tempting to Adam and Eve. And I think we, we just see that, that same thing played out over and over again in so many different ways. So true. It's like that statement, God created man in his image and man has been returning the favor ever since. <laughs> Cause we want to be like God, independent, yeah. autonomous without imperfections. Um, and that's, that's a narrative. That's a really strong narrative in, um, in our society. Nobody wants God. We don't need God. Yeah, I mean, like people don't want to be to not be the center of of their universe. Mm-hmm. I mean, like I, I said that earlier that that's kind of like the trap of perfectionism is kind of making yourself that center, right? And it's like it's that fallen nature struggling for God's position in my life right. every time instead right. of like being humble and and saying, "Okay, God, I have these expectations and these desires." but I'm going to give them to you and trust that you have good desires and expectations for me Mm. that I can achieve. It's like, no, I want to keep control. I want to hold on to that because I know best. Right. Right. Mm. So true. Now what's, what is the solution to perfectionism? Because we've talked a lot about how it looks and its diagnosis. What's the solution? How can somebody curb this disease of perfectionism? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, Dan, for you'll remember when you first asked me to do this, I was like, look, if you want somebody who's sorted and who's come out the other side, I'm not the person. <laughs> um, so for anyone who's listening, who um, I don't have all the answers, um, but um, I think one thing that that has really helped me um, is is really just dwelling on on the fact that we're not like God didn't design us to be perfect in this life mm-hmm. and that, that humanity is never going to be perfect until Jesus returns again. Mm-hmm. So in um, so Philippians 1 verse 6 has been really helpful for me. It says this, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So for me in there, there's a lot of hope because the completion is that like it's going to come. Mm-hmm. Like it's not like... I'm going to stay in this imperfect way my whole life. Mm. Well, um, for the rest of eternity, I will be complete one day, but that is not going to be in this life. That that completion and that perfection is going to come when Jesus returns and when God makes the whole world perfect. And so um, dwelling on that has helped me to understand a little bit more that I'm not expected to be perfect, that mm-hmm. God is not putting those expectations on me that's actually something that I'm putting on myself. Right. That's kind of unfair. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, it's unachievable. Like God has a much more gracious expectation for me than what I'm giving myself. And ultimately he's the only one who is perfect. Right. Um, and 
Jesus is the only perfect human. Like none of us can can meet that standard, and that's why we need Him. Right. Um, so I think really just yeah, realizing that we can't do it. Right. Um, it's kind of it can feel terrifying to to say that. I'm like, no, really, like it has to be true. But but actually, ultimately, I think it's really freeing. And it's it's interesting because seems that you're suggesting that the opposite of perfectionism is humility and accepting grace. Yeah. You know, because you, you have to be humble to recognize that you need help. Yeah. Right. And that's something, that's a truth that maybe perfectionists have a hard time, you know, coming to grips with. And it's not just merely that you need help, but that you're willing to receive the help. Yeah. Right. So you can recognize it and also understand that I, I, I need this help. Um, and I think that's a good point. Really making the distinction that only God is perfect. Mm-hmm. And the one human being that was perfect was Jesus. And he was God too, <laughs> you know? Um, and there's never been a perfect human being. And and for us to attempt to or even think that way, is just send, setting ourselves up for failure. Yeah. What about acceptance? I think acceptance is so key because, I mean, going back to the, the definition of perfectionism that you kind of opened with, like the um, neurotic refusal to accept reality. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a key, a key way to, to begin to overcome perfectionism is, is just accepting where you are and what you're doing and like the level that you're at mm. in whatever aspect of your life, because you can't get better unless you acknowledge where you are right, right now. Right. It's like, if I was going to try and run a marathon, um, like I don't do any, I don't even go jogging. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I've never done any long distance running. If I, if I'd like, tried to run a marathon tomorrow, that would be an absolute disaster. Right. Um, And that would be so foolish because I wouldn't have acknowledged the fact that I haven't trained and I'm not like, I haven't strengthened the right muscles and like, and gone through that training. Um, So it's so important to like, to recognize where, where you are, um, whatever that is, even if it's like, you really suck at something. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like it's so important to just be like, okay, I suck at this, but the the good thing is that from that place you can move forward and you don't have to stay there. Right. But I think like with perfectionism, what we what we do is because we refuse to accept where we are, um, we actually end up staying there. Mm. It's like kind of like the procrastination thing. Right, right. That like when we yeah, when we refuse to accept that we're not good at something or that we, we could do something better. Um, we miss out on the opportunity to actually improve in that area. Mm. So yeah, I think acceptance is is so vital. Right, and acceptance isn't settling, right? Right, exactly. Because I, I think you you could say, oh no, but like if I accept where I am, that's that's just giving in, right? Um, or like or giving up. But it's it's not that. It's it's not settling for. It's not even like settling for where you are. It's just acknowledging it mm-hmm. as as where we are now. Um, but as a kind of, as a doorway that you can go through to something even better. Yeah. It's like, that's a really good distinction to make. It's, yeah. it's not just settling for for less than the best. It's like, no, I actually, I want to do better. So I'm going to acknowledge where I am and then I can move forward. Mm, which is interesting. Um, it goes along with, uh, I think Leo Gura says, uh, we have to fall in love with the mastery process. So, falling in love with mastering the process of whatever we want to achieve and not obsessing about the end result. 
Yeah. Right. And that makes it easier for us to accomplish anything. Right. Um, and like you said, the acceptance allows us to go somewhere. Okay. This is where I'm at. This is where I want to be. And now you need to fall in love with the process. And that's, what's hard for perfectionists is that we can't accept the process. The process is too daunting. Yeah. It's too heavy. Um, and that's where we, that's where we can curb our perfectionism is if we fall in love with the ma- the process, the learning process. Right. Um, and there's a good, there's a good quote by Nathan Miravolf, who um, I think uh, Bill Gates said he's the smartest guy that he's ever met. And this is what he says about learning. He says, part of learning is that you have to be confused. Frustration and confusion is key to learning, which is uncomfortable because it makes us feel stupid and we're naturally uncomfortable with that. Mm-hmm. So it's like feeling, being comfortable with the feeling of confusion and feeling stupid is important, but that's one thing perfectionists fight the most, Yeah, you know? And Creativity requires that we be uncomfortable, we, we be uncomfortable, right? Because to be creative, you have to be. And this is another quote from Nathan uh, Mir- Miraval, where he says, uh, "To be creative, you have to be willing to be wrong. Uh, you also have to be willing to be right, and yet have everyone think you're wrong." What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I think that's it's so true. Like we have to, we have to be able to enjoy that process mm-hmm. um, because that's really really like that that's where the achievement happens mm. is when we can get into like a rhythm um a process i mean another thing just that's helped me with um trying to overcome perfectionism is it's just that like there is no destination mm. um that will ever live up to my expectations right um, but like it's it's more like a journey instead of a place where you can get to or a thing that you can achieve. It's like that process is so that is that process is is life. Mm. Like the only real goal that I can truly have is like I'm gonna be with Jesus one day. And like mm. that's the one goal I can have that I can put my trust in. Um but for for the rest, it's like the process is what what we have. That's it. Mm-hmm, <laughs> like mm-hmm. that that's life that, that we live. So we, we really, ha- we have to learn to love that and, and to, to accept the good and the bad, like the struggle and, and the achievement mm. along the way. Yeah, that's very good. And I think um, accepting our limitations as hard as it may be is actually one of the best places to experience God's grace for us to do like yeah. something that we're not capable of doing on our own. Right. And, and in those moments you can give credit to God because there's been, I think I've experienced this in my own life where it's like, I knew my limitations, but then I got something done. I'm like, how the heck did I get that, get that done? You know, like, and then I knew that it was because I recognized, okay, I can't do this. And I prayed about it. I need, I need God's help. And I was able to overcome that, you know? Um, So I think acceptance and like, and humility is important because then it allows room for God's grace to come in. Right to help us do something that we feel inadequate of doing. Um, And that's how we have to relate to them. And also with creativity, I know perfectionists want to do something that's outside of this world. So we get caught up in originality, Mm -hmm. which I feel as though we need to recognize the only person that can make something out of nothing is God. Yeah, absolutely. And in the creative process, uh, we need to be, we need to realize that we're always going to be pulling for something that already, already exists. Right. And the only thing that makes it unique is uh, is that it's coming from us and in our experiences. Yeah. But it's not something otherworldly. <laughs> and we need to be OK with that. Um, and that's something also I've learned to 
um, that could be a solution to perfectionism. Uh, and I think it's also important for us to recognize that we could be so much better not being a perfectionist. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like going back to, to what you said, it's like, it's not striving for excellence. Like right. that is, that is not what perfectionism is. Like that, that whole kind of concept of mastery. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I think of when, when, like when you say that, I think of like, um, master craftsmen who mm. spent like their whole lives devoted to one thing. Right. Um, and just through doing it day in, day out, um, and making mistakes along the way, like they've got to this point where actually what they produce is amazing and mm. it's of such great quality, but they, there was no shortcut to that. And like, right. because they've enjoyed the process, they now can like, can reap amazing results. Yeah. But it's like, that commitment to the the everyday, the small things that maybe seem insignificant at the time, right. um, but when they build up and inc- like kind of over time, they really um, you can produce some amazing stuff. It's mm, good. Grace, humility, and mastery is a goal. Yep. <laughs> it's been a good conversation. Thanks for uh, talking to Thanks us. Thanks so much for having me. 